0: Both marriage and singleness are a kingdom-building opportunity. The reason you should marry or remain single is because you are convinced that you can expand God's kingdom better while married or while single. That's why you should get married. That's why you should remain single. Because you are convinced you have caught a vision from God that you are calling me to this. And I can expand God's kingdom better by pursuing that path. Welcome to the weekly sermon at Gateway. My name is Jason
1: McNabb. Our current series, Human Sexuality in the Bible, explores what Scripture has to say on the topic of sex and our bodies. And here we find grace and truth as we consider marriage, singleness, sexual orientation, and more. You can find more information about this series at gatewaycrc.org. And now, here's this week's message. Nevertheless, each one should retain the place in life that the Lord has assigned to him. And to which God has called him. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Each one should remain in the same situation which he was in when God called him. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For he who was a slave when he was called by the Lord is the Lord's freedman. Similarly, he who was a freedman when he was called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brothers, each man, as responsible to God, should remain in the situation God has called him to. Now about virgins. I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who, by the Lord's mercy, is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for you to remain as you are. Are you married? Do not seek a divorce. Are you unmarried? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you from this. What I mean, brothers, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they have had none. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs. How can you please the Lord? But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. <laughs> Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks he's acting improperly toward the virgin he's engaged to, and if she is getting along in years and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion but is controlled o- over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then, he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does even better. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning,
0: and happy Mother's Day to you all. Uh, If you have your Bible, please keep them open. Uh, If you got a physical Bible, keep 1 Corinthians open, and also find Matthew chapter 19 and put a tab there as well, please. Um, Just like last week, we are going to be covering both of these chapters at the same time because Paul finds his instruction in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 on the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 19 with respect to marriage with respect to divorce, and with respect to singleness, like we are covering today, and uh, I just want to say a very quick note to parents who are here. Uh, early on, a couple months ago, I struggled with whether or not to uh, give this message a PG-13 rating or not. In the end, I decided not to. I think it's probably like PG-10, but I also recognize that uh, you are the primary disciples of your children. So if uh, if you're a parent here, you got a nine, 10-year-old, and, and you're not really ready for them to have the conversation about sex, then uh, please feel free to make your way to the lobby, find our Kids Church team, and I can assure you they will not be talking about sex and singleness in kids' church. Uh, but uh, I think it should be okay. The youngest person in this room is my son, Liam. He's nine years old. I think he should be fine. So I've entered, uh, entitled this message is Marriage Plan A and Singleness Plan B. And here's what I mean by that rather cheeky sermon title. As we look at this topic today, I want to start by acknowledging something right off the bat that makes this topic so difficult to talk about marriage is good, right? Marriage is something that is beautiful. It is something to be cherished and to be solely defended. All that is true. And it's also not lost on me that I'm talking about the importance of singleness on marriage or on uh, Mother's Day. So just you're welcome in advance uh, for this sermon. It's going to be amazing as we dive into this. So I recognize how hard it is to be single in today's culture. And we're going to look at our text again in just a little bit, but I want to share with you a couple of reasons why it is so difficult to be single in Canada today. And the first one, which I put in your note sheet, is this. The world that we live in or the fish bowl that we find ourselves swimming in is obsessed with sex, is obsessed with sex. Now, I think that's true. I think there's a lot of different ways that I can show you this, but it sort of feels like preaching to the choir. It sort of feels like trying to convince a fish that it's wet. There's not a whole lot that I need to share, but let me just give you one example of this. Uh, Who here, by a show of hands, has not seen this movie, The 40-Year-Old Virgin? Okay, like at least half of you in this room have not seen that movie. Now, here's my question. I, I need you to share with me, audibly tell me, what genre is this movie? Go ahead. A comedy? A comedy. How, no, here, here's my question. You haven't seen this movie. How do you know that it's a comedy? Like, okay, Steve Carell's in it. For, forget that for a second. But how, how do you know that it's a comedy? Because there is a cultural lie that has been sold to you that we have all been drinking in for years and years and years. And here's the lie. Sexual expression and sexual experience are necessary for human flourishing. They're necessary for human flourishing. Flourishing. That's the lie that we drink in with every commercial, every single ad, most of the movies that we watch, many of the books that we read. This is the lie that we hear all the time. In order for you to be a fully alive human being, to be your authentic true self, then you need to experience this. Sexual expression and experience are the way to do that. Now, you might recall all the way back in week two, we uh, talked about worldviews, and I relied quite heavily on Carl Truman and his book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, which really has helped me um, try to identify some of the leading cultural values that we are drinking in as Canadians in the 21st century today. So let's just review those really quick by looking at the next slide, if we could see that. Uh, The one I want us to take a look at especially is Sigmund Freud when he said that our core identity is sexual. That's our core identity at the center of who we are in order for us to truly know ourselves and to find fulfillment in this world, we find our identity in matters of sexuality. And so that's the reason why when we see this movie, The 40-Year-Old Virgin, and instantly we know it's a comedy because we say... That's what it means to be fully human. Let's just look for a second at what Carl Truman writes in his book. He says this No one today needs to be told that a movie with the title The 40 Year Old Virgin is a comedy. The very idea of someone reaching the age of 40 with no experience of sexual intimacy is inherently comic because of the value society now places on sex. To be sexually inactive is to be a less than whole person, to be obviously unfulfilled or weird. The old sexual codes of celibacy outside of marriage and chastity within it are considered ridiculous and oppressive, and their advocates are wicked or stupid or both. The sexual revolution is a truly truly a revolution that has turned the moral world upside down. And so single people live in this hyper-sexualized culture, and they're grappling with the same temptations that we all face, and drinking in the cultural values every single day when we see ads and movies and slogans, it's in our world. This is the fishbowl that we are living in. So that's the first challenge that I want to lay out before you. And it's sad. The sad and almost humorous irony about this is that every married person knows that it's a lie. They all know it. Or maybe they bought that lie and then they got married and now they're grappling with like, maybe it's me. I still have unfulfilled longings and desires. Or maybe it's my spouse. And now it's in the marriage and you're struggling with this, trying to understand. I I thought this person would complete me. I thought this person would eliminate all the temptations I ever had and everything would be a okay. And all the married people said, no, no one's saying that. Here we are. We're all struggling with this. But let's add another dimension to this, the second note that I put in your note sheet. Within the church, the church is obsessed with marriage, largely, I'm painting with a broad brush here, but the church is obsessed with marriage and the nuclear family, and the nuclear family. Now, you have to hear what I'm saying and what I'm not saying. Marriage is a beautiful gift from God. So if you are married this morning, you don't need to apologize for it. You don't need to feel bad. You don't have to have any layers of guilt associated with the fact that God has called you to enter into a marriage covenant with your partner. All those things are beautiful and yet, here's what I want you to see, this uh, uh, a gentleman by the name of Ron Belgo, he is a Christian, he is a celibate Christian, he has same-sex attraction, he said this, he said, is celibacy difficult? Yes. But so is marriage. So is grad school. Is it frustrating at times? Yes. But watch someone raising toddlers sometime, and it may change your perspective on the challenges of celibacy. So again, happy Mother's Day to you all. So if we're honest, is it possible that churches sometimes give the not-so-subtle impression that marriage is the ubiquitous plan A and singleness is, well, not? Not. So let's just try some of these on for size for a moment. Um, Grandparents. Is it possible that you have some adult grandchildren and when they come home from university, some of the first questions that you might ask is, have you found someone special? Are you dating anyone? Is God leading you to that person? Have you found that special person in your life? Giving the subtle impression that this is the direction that we should go. Or parents, maybe just maybe you've had this dream, this passion for your children or for your child that one day they would rise up, they would find someone that they would love and then they would get married and they would have children of their own and then you could have beautiful grandbabies and you could play with them. But here's the question. What if the Lord has something different in mind for them? What if God has a different plan for their life? And you're trying to live vicariously through your children, but God has a different plan for them. Or maybe just maybe you're just a really well-intentioned friend, and you are the uh, unsolicited matchmaker in all your single friends' lives, and you're like, "Oh my goodness, if, if this person just married that person, they'd be so happy together and their children would be so beautiful." Maybe we are trying to impress that upon our friends when, in fact, God might be calling them to something different. Is that possible? Or maybe even in church world, we, we have some slogans that we use. They're well intended, but they're largely unhelpful. So let's review some of these together. You just need to find your soulmate. Have you heard that before? You just need to find your soulmate. That's not found anywhere in scripture, but it's, it's found its place in our religious psyche that we think this way. Or as soon as you're sati- satisfied in God alone, he'll bring someone special into your life. As though the only way to get married is to enter into some sort of spiritual Jedi state. And once you get to that place, then boom, God will bless you with a vibrant marriage. Or God just has to do a little bit of work on you before he brings that special person into your life. So just hang on, that person's coming, don't worry. Or this, you have to become someone wonderful before God gives you someone wonderful. And again, this is the fishbowl that we live in in our culture today. And to all these statements, pastor and author Timothy Keller says this, Under all these statements is the premise that a single life is a second-class life, a state of deprivation for people, not yet fully formed for marriage. But listen, the Bible has something to say about that. Paul has something to say. His desire in writing this passage that we read already is that you as a single person would not be anxious about singleness, And yet, here's the reality, friends, because of our world and our culture's obsession with sex and because of uh, the church's obsession with marriage and the nuclear family, many of our single friends experience a level of anxiety unprecedented in human history. There's a constant shoving and pushing in that direction. So let let me talk to the single people who are here or who are watching online. Maybe you're someone who is single and you have unfulfilled longings and desires. Or maybe you're getting a little bit older, your body is changing and and you're wondering if you will get married or if you'll be able to have children when you get married. Maybe you thought to yourself, I never saw my life turning out this way. I, I thought I'd be married by now. Maybe you see your friends getting married around you and They're having their second or their third kid or around here, their fourth or fifth or sixth kid, you know? And they just bought that uh, cheap $1.2 million house down the road. It actually has a backyard. And you're just thinking to yourself, like, they're adulting, but like, Lord, what about me? I thought thought my life would turn out different. And just like your married friends, you, you have sexual longings, and desires, and you might be, might be saying, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm on fire and I, I don't know what to do with this. I'm struggling, God. You're asking, should I stay in the relationship that I'm in right now? I don't see a future in this, but I'm so lonely. Or is it okay for me to marry someone who's not a Christian, but they're supportive of my faith? Have the rules changed? Is it okay for me to pursue a marriage relationship? God, are you calling me to singleness? So many questions that you're grappling with. And so, friends, listen, we have made it extremely difficult for our single friends if we are obsessed with sex and the church is obsessed with the nuclear family. That's an extremely difficult environment to live in for Christians who are single, regardless of the nature of their singleness, regardless of if they have chosen of their own volition to be single, or they long to be married, but they haven't found that person. Or they have same-sex attraction, but they have made a vow of celibacy saying, "I, I can't pursue that type of relationship. Regardless of the circumstances that have led to their singleness, that is a very, very difficult place for them to find themselves in. And so I want us to look at Matthew chapter 19, underneath the umbrella of what we've read already in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, to see Jesus' radical new vision for the church and for both marriage and singleness. So here's kind of the thesis statement that I want you to see right off the bat. I put it this way on marriage and singleness. Both marriage and singleness are a kingdom building opportunity. The reason you should marry or remain single It's because you are convinced that you can expand God's kingdom better while married or while single. That's why you should get married. That's why you should remain single. Because you are convinced, you have caught a vision from God that you are calling me to this. And I can expand God's kingdom better by pursuing that path. That's the reason why we should be married or single. So Last week, I shared with you that there were two different schools of thought with respect to marriage and divorce, right? The first view was more of the conservative position that the only reason why you should get divorced is in the uh, event of sexual um, unfaithfulness. That was the conservative position. But then there was another position that said, really, you can get a certificate of divorce for any reason. You know, she burns the toast. You know, she lets herself go. You don't like her anymore. She's got a bad attitude. You just decide, I don't like her anymore. You can write a certificate of divorce. And then Jesus comes decidedly on the conservative position, and he actually elevates it. And he says this. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. And that's where we ended last week. That's where we ended. Now I want us to pick up and see the response of the disciples. They are totally shocked by the response of Jesus. And so here's what they say in verse 10. They say to him, these are the disciples, not the Pharisees. If this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it is better not to marry. That's their observation. If there's no other way out, if you can't get out of the institution except through unfaithfulness, then certainly it's better not to marry. And by the way, this is exactly the phenomenon that we live in Canada today. You might not know this, but for the first time in Canadian history, the rate of Canadians getting married is on the decline. Let me just show you a couple of statistics of this. In 1960, when our senior saints, when your parents were getting married, we had 72% of adults getting married. Fast forward to today, and that number has dropped to 37%. So the first time in Canadian history, less than 50%, and it's dropping like a stone. 37% of adults are married, and of that number, 25% of that 37% are married via common law marriage. So they've been together for six plus years, and now through the government's eyes, they are married, even though they haven't engaged in any covenant vows to each other. And that's the third highest number in the world. And so here's the question I want to ask you. What accounts for that? What accounts for that steep decline in marriage? Why is it that young people, especially millennials and Gen Zs, are not getting married? What, what's the reason? Well, we talked a little bit about that last week. The majority of Gen Zs, Gen Xs, and millennials have experienced a marriage of their parents that resulted in a divorce. And it has been heartbreaking to watch. And so for many of them, they said, I'm not sure if I want that for my life. I'm not sure if I want to be stuck in that sort of institution. And so the vast majority of young people today, they're they're not as quick or as eager to enter into a marriage relationship, and they're choosing to stay single. But it's not really for the right reasons. Not for the reasons we're talking about today. They're reticent to enter into the bond, because they're worried about how it might turn out, especially when more than 50% of marriages end in divorce. And so just like the disciples, many Canadians are saying, if that is the situation between a husband and a wife, it is better not to marry. And it's not as though they're not sexually active. Like we still have hookup culture, we still have cohabitation, but there's not an eagerness to enter into the covenant bond as we've had in the past. Why would you want to get stuck in the institution like the disciples are talking about? Now, here's what I want us to do. I I want us to see how Jesus responds to this. He responds not by talking about marriage. He doesn't even talk about divorce. Instead, he talks about singleness, which is just amazing. Like, it's so interesting that he kind of pushes those topics to the side, and he treats it as an opportunity for us to learn more about singleness. So look at this with me. This is Matthew 19, verse 11. Here's what it says. Not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who have been born this way. That's the first group. There are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. That's the second. And there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And then he says, the one who can accept this should accept it. So Jesus, he's showing an incredible understanding of the day. Already here in the first century, Jesus has an awareness of people who have intersex conditions from birth. He's he's aware of that, people who are born this way. And then second, he recognizes that some people have been made this way at the hands of other people. And then he talks about a third group, a group that almost never gets talked about, and he puts them in the center of the room. Not people who were born eunuchs, not people who have been made eunuchs, but people who voluntarily choose to live as though they are like a eunuch. Spiritually speaking, they become like eunuchs. And why would they do this? Jesus says, for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And then he says, if you can accept this word, you should accept it. Now, Jesus, he's, he's proposing something that is an absolute reorienting of cultural norms. I, I shared with you uh, that singleness is really hard for those of us who are in Canada today, but I want to propose to you that it was even harder for first century Jews and first century Christians during the time of Jesus. It was incredibly difficult. So let me just share this with you with a couple things up on the screen. The first is the Greek view. This is just kind of what you might consider to be the pagan view. People who are not religious, but growing up in the Greco-Roman world, they would say this. There is no place in an honor-shame culture to be fully accepted while a eunuch, or even while as a volunteer eunuch. You you can't be part of the institution. You can't be part of society if you're not married. That was the view. And then the Muslim view, this is a direct quote from the Quran. It says, not to get married is to overstep the bounds of the law. So if, if you're not married, you're sinning. You're making an error. You need to get married. And then even the Mormon view today, it says this, there is no eternal fruit for the single person. Why is that? Because you have to get married in a temple because that's how the Lord will bless your life and you'll have your own planet one day and you can populate the planet. Their whole radical vision is tied up in getting married and bearing children. And then we might think, well, surely if you were a Jew, if you were part of the tribe of Israel, they, they wouldn't have that sort of view. Well, no, you're wrong. Let me just share a quote with you from, this is the the Jewish library, Jewish virtual library. It says, the deliberate renunciation of marriage is all but completely alien to Judaism. Scarcely any reference to celibates are found in the Bible or in the Talmud and no medieval rabbi is known to have lived as a celibate. And then they go on to say this, marriage, is a command, and celibacy is deplored. That's the view. So you could imagine what it felt like to be a single person in the first century. The mentality of the Jewish community was marriage, children, obedience to the law, and enjoying the blessings of the land. They were living in a Genesis radical vision. That's what they were thinking about. And for anyone who didn't fit into that system, they felt ostracized. So in the pagan community, there was no life for you. And in the Jewish community, there was no home for you if you were single. And you can imagine just how discouraging it must have been. And so when Jesus comes along and he says, hey, um, some of you were born eunuchs, some of you have been made eunuchs, but I have really good news. All of you should aspire to be, spiritually speaking, like eunuchs. This is good news for you. And they're like, Jesus, you're crazy. You can can sense the culture shock when you understand the fishbowl that they're living in at this time. No one wants this. And Jesus says, It's good news? It's good news? And that's probably the reason why he says what he says. He says, Not everyone can accept this word. These are hard teachings of Jesus. But here's the good news that Jesus is pointing at. And I want you to see this. There was a time in Jewish history in which eunuchs could not even enter into the synagogue or the temple. They, they couldn't participate in worship with the people of God. They felt the separation. And yet Jesus is co- providing a radical new compelling vision. Which invites in both married and single people. A declaration about who people were. What their identity is. And what their new mission is on earth. And it starts in the Old Testament, but it's fulfilled in Jesus. Where we first see this is in Isaiah chapter 56. If you're taking notes, consider writing down that chapter, looking at the whole context later. But let me just share a couple verses with you. It says this. Let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose what pleases me and who hold fast to my covenant. To them, I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a better name than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. So this is the new vision that Jesus comes to fulfill through the kingdom of heaven and the nature of singleness. And that's something I find actually quite interesting. Jesus' vision for the new kingdom is expressed most acutely and most vividly through his instruction on singleness, which is a huge affirmation on the gift of singleness. So let me just share this with you. Let's look at the next uh, screen here. This is the Old Testament vision, which we've talked about already. The Old Testament vision is all about marriage and the nuclear family. And then, bearing children of your own who carry on the family line. And then within that, obedience in the land, observance of God's laws within the land, and then enjoying the tangible blessings within the land that God has given you. This is the vision of the people of Israel. And then Jesus comes along. And I just want you to see the radical new vision that he lays out for us. It used to be the nuclear family. And then it becomes the spiritual family. He identifies the church as the spiritual family. If you're taking notes, consider writing down Matthew chapter 12, verse 48. This is one of those enigmatic stories in which people come up to Jesus. Let's just pretend it's on Mother's Day. And uh, they say, hey, your, your mother and your brothers are looking for you. And what does Jesus say? He says, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? I tell you the truth, here are my mothers and brothers and sisters. And anyone who does the will of God is my mother and my brothers and my sister. The new vision, which expands, this this is not a diminishment of the nuclear family. It is the expansion of it where God says it used to be about the nuclear family. But now it's about the faith family of God. And that we recognize that our spiritual family will outlast our biological family by the duration of an eternity. That's the new vision for the church today. And then the second one, it was all about bearing children. And now it's about new spiritual birth that all of us are called, according to Matthew chapter 28, to go and to make disciples so that they might know Jesus and enter into a new spiritual birth and see Jesus for who he is. And in that way, they become brothers and sisters with God's people today. And then it used to be obedience in the land, obedience in the midst of the earthly kingdom. But the new vision is devotion to the kingdom of God. You've heard me say before, life is short. Eternity is long. Live like it. Live like it. Imagine if you had this radical vision that you would only live on earth for 20 or 40 or 80 or even a 100 years, but that you would live in glory with Jesus for 10,000 times 10,000 times 10,000 years. And even after that time, you have no less days to sing God's praise than when you first begun. That's the new vision. And so if we catch this, we're going to be all about the kingdom of God and not just the little mini kingdoms that we're building here on earth. And then finally, it used to be about enjoying tangible blessings in the land, but it has been expanded where we are seeking to bear eternal fruit. This is the new vision of the people of God, and Jesus reveals it most clearly through his teaching on singleness. On singleness. It's a radical new vision. And it's probably for that reason that Paul says what he says. We read this already, but look at it one more time. He says, I wish that you were all as I am. And what he means by that is, he's saying, I wish you were single like me. And then later he says in verse 32, I would like for you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of the world and how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or a virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs, her aim to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of the world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. And so do you see what Jesus is saying? Do you see what Paul is saying? It's no longer the case that you have to get married in order to be a spiritual leader in the family of God. And we see this most clearly through the two examples we're looking at today in Jesus and in Paul. So let's look really quickly at these two people. First, Jesus affirms singleness. Jesus affirms singleness. Jesus is the archetype of true humanity, and he was single. And if you say something like, yeah, but Justin, he was God, so it doesn't really count, then you have really bad theology. Really bad theology. Because we believe in the dual natures of Jesus, that yes, he was 100% God, but also he is 100% human. And you might recall a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the issue of Platonic dualism, the issue of Gnosticism, and then the topic of Docetism, which is the belief that Jesus was not actually human. He was merely a phantom. He only appeared human, but he was not fully God but that's docetism. It's a heresy. It was rejected in the fourth century. We believe in the dual natures of Jesus. He suffered like we do. He relied on the Holy Spirit like we do, and he was tempted in every way and yet was without sin in his humanity. So woven into our understanding of Jesus is that he is the truest, purest, most perfect, most glorious human being who ever lived, and he was human just like us. I love the way that Millard Erickson puts this. He says, instead of asking, is Jesus as human as we are, we might better ask, are we as human as Jesus? Are we as human as Jesus? So most Christians today, I think, are still closet- docetists. I think we got a little bit of that going on in our psyche. Don't jump over the fact that Jesus was a single man using his singleness to serve the kingdom of his father. That is a radical vision for the gift of singleness. And then we see in the life of Paul, we see that Paul affirms singleness as well. Paul was the greatest missionary the world has ever known. And he was single because he caught this vision, this revelation of the person of Jesus and the beauty of Christ and the opportunity to expand God's kingdom better if you are single. That you have more margin, more freedom to devote yourself solely to the kingdom of God. And Paul wanted to ca- for the, his congregants to catch this vision Two, and this is the reason why Paul says this First Corinthians 7, verse 7 I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, and another one has that gift. And just a note here when Paul talks about singleness and specifically the gift of singleness, he's not talking about spiritual gifts. Like some people have the gift of prophecy. Some people have the gift of preaching and teaching. Others have the gift of tongues or the interpretation of tongues. And so you can pray for the spiritual gift of contentedness and singleness. That's not what he's talking about. This is the Greek word charisma. And so the the essence here is that God is giving a particular gift to each person. I just got to do a little bit of a shout out here to uh, three people up here. They started a new podcast called Route 77, which is based on 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7. And so we have Natasha and David and Monique, and they're leading that. So if you're interested in podcasts, take a look at that. But I want to quote Natasha. She said it this way, which is so good. She said, here's your way to know if you have the gift of singleness. If you're single, you have the gift of singleness, if you're married, you have the gift of marriage. You're welcome. I added you're welcome. She didn't say that, but you're welcome. So that's what, that's what she shared, and, and I just love that. So that's the focus here. We have to see it's not about spiritual gifts. It's about what is God calling you to. That's his gift. So here's the way Paige Benton Brown says this. She says this, I am not single because I'm too spiritually unstable to deserve a husband. Or too spiritually mature to need one. I'm single because God is good and that is his best for me. Marriage is a gift and singleness is a gift. So with the the little amount of time that we have remaining, I want us to talk a little bit about God's vision for singleness. And then we're going to end today and pick up next week exploring the broader vision of what it means to expand the Jewish vision of the nuclear family to now see it as the church, as the family of God, and how we can bless one another as the faith family of God, because it's going to take a village. It's going to take a village. So let's look at two opportunities when it comes to singleness. The first one is the opportunity to be fully devoted to God. Fully devoted to God. And so here's the way that I would really like to uh, share this. I believe the only reason why anyone should get married or any Christian should get married is because you are convinced that you can expand God's kingdom in the world better together than you can separate. It's not an idea that, all oh, this person's my soulmate, they're going to complete me, and if I just get married, everything's going to be fine, everything's going to be good. Because, like, no married person after five minutes believes that. You might believe it on your wedding day, but a week later, you're like, that was a lie. <laughs> Happy Mother's Day. But you, you know that, right? You realize that it, there's no possible way that another person's going to complete you. The only reason why you should get married is because you're saying, Lord, I just think God's leading me in this direction. God's leading them in this direction. And I think God is calling us to do this together. That's the that's compelling vision to get married. But otherwise, I, I think your, your standard default position should be, I'm single. Here's an interesting to think about. Every single person in this room has been single, but not everyone gets married. And so in in one sense or another, everyone in this room has been given the gift of singleness. And at one point in time, God maybe gave you the gift of marriage, maybe, but everyone has the gift of singleness. And the calling upon your life while you are still single is that it is an opportunity to fully devote yourself to God. Now, here, here's uh, what I love with what Paul says about this. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 38, he says, So then, he who marries does right, but he who does not marry does better. Just a note to those of you who are college students, I think, like, this would be a really good life verse to put on your, your sweater on the first day back to college, you know? Just, just a hot tip for you if you want to do something like that. They do better. They do better. And so you have such an opportunity here as a young person to lean into this. As a single person to lean into this. So devote yourself to God. Do not waste your singleness. And if I can just talk briefly to those of you who are young, uh, especially high school students and college students, there are so many Christians in the U.S. and Canada who just have an idea of Jesus, but they don't truly know Jesus. And I don't want that for you. I want you to walk with Jesus, to know Jesus, that each and every day when you wake up, you say, God, where are you leading me today? Where where am I going to go? Where are you calling me? Who do you want me to interact with? What conversations do I need to have? Here's a difficult issue. Lord, should I zig or should I zag? Lord, help me understand your will for my life more deeply. Help me to know who you are so that I can understand more deeply who I am and who you are creating me to be. Lord, help me understand this element of your word. I don't get it. I'm struggling with it. Lean in because I'm promising you it gets harder, not easier once you get married. It gets harder because your interests are divided. It's not a bad thing. It just means when you get married, you have to be fully devoted to the kingdom of God and you have to be fully devoted to your covenant commitments to your spouse. And if the Lord blesses you with children, then your life is over and you know, too bad. But until that moment happens, if the Lord is leading you to marriage, use your singleness now to lean in and to learn more about God and who he is and who he's calling you to be. You have an opportunity. You have a gift. It is not something that is bad. It's not something to regret. It's not something to be worried about. God has given you a gift. Don't waste your singleness. And here's the second point tied to that. It is an opportunity to make a kingdom impact. So let me just try to puck handle this idea for a second. Single people do not have more time than married people. All of us have the same amount of time, okay? And we all have to make the best use of the time. But single people do have more freedom with respect to the decisions that they can make. And this is what is so compelling to Paul. This is the reason why Paul wants people to be devoted to singleness and to be content in their singleness. Because he realizes if God calls you to run, you're gonna run. But if you're married, you're gonna say, well, let me think about it for a second. You You, You have to do that when you're married. And so you have more freedom to discern how the Lord is leading you in the world. It is an opportunity. It is a gift. And so single people... Treat your singleness as a gift. And we need you. We need your gifts. We need your passion. We need your energy. We need your attention. Use the season in your life to expand God's kingdom in the world. God is going to do amazing things through you and in you. Don't waste your singleness. Don't waste it. And so here's how I want to end today. I think we can see how difficult it is, and it may be for Christians who are single today. For, for, for the single Christian, they might have friends or co-workers or family members uh, who aren't Christian. They're not living in the, the chaste tension that you're trying to live in. You know, whether they, they go out with their friends or they go to the bar or they hook up with others. And, and you, you might even feel ridiculed or mocked for the way that you're trying to live in obedience to God in the midst of your singleness. And it might also be difficult when you come to church and you see that there's just so many celebrations that are tied to the nuclear family, right? Again, I didn't plan on doing this on Mother's Day, so you're welcome, but all the, all the things that we celebrate are very much tied to the nuclear family. Anniversaries, weddings, Baby showers, Father's Day, Mother's Day. And those are all beautiful things. We want to celebrate those things. But as a church, we want to expand it. We want to blow the roof off of it so we can celebrate both singleness and marriage as a gift from God, as something that's beautiful for us to champion and to celebrate and to affirm as the people of God. That's the vision, I think, that Jesus is leading us toward. And so singleness is hard, and I know there may be failure, and I'm sorry if you are single for the ways in which the church hasn't really modeled this very well. We want to grow in this area. We want to do better. And so here's how I want to end. In preparation for next week as we close out this series, look again with me at the Old Testament and the New Testament vision up here on the screen. We see the Old Testament vision, the nuclear family, getting married, having children, enjoying blessings in the land. We see what Jesus is saying, that we are called to be a spiritual family, engaging in new spiritual birth, having a radical worldview and vision that says, life is short, but eternity is long. I want to live that way. I want to be devoted to the kingdom. I want to be devoted to eternity and everything that I do. So if we want to accept this vision right here, it's going to take a village. It's going to take a village. So here's the question I want to lay out before you. How can we better cultivate a radical vision of wholeness and human flourishing as the spiritual family of God? How can we do that better? How can we grow in that? Because we're going to talk about this more next week when we close out the series. But until then, what would it look like to be a church that catches this vision from Jesus? Where both married and single people can thrive as one faith family. We think about single people those who are born eunuchs, those who become eunuchs, those who choose to become as though they're spiritual eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven, for widows, for divorced people, for single people with same-sex attraction, for men and women with gender dysphoria, for people who are far from home, people who are close by, people longing to get married but remain unmarried, for the lost, for lonely people, for people who have caught the vision from God to be focused on eternity, all of them people. And they're all here. They're all in this room. They're all watching online. And you know what we all have in common? We're all looking for home. We're looking for home. Gateway, I'm not trying to toot your own horn. You can be that. You can be home to lost and displaced people. I'm I'm just amazed by this congregation. I'm not just saying this because I have the opportunity to serve as one of your pastors. But the way that you love God, the way that you love people, God can do an amazing thing right here. Like here we are in the middle of a human sexuality series during a time in which our denomination is ripping itself apart on these very things. And what are you doing? You're leaning in. You're asking questions. You're trying to embody this well. So that other people who are banging their head on sexuality can come in. That's what you are doing. God is doing amazing things and he will continue to do amazing things through you. But here's what it's going to take. Here's what I I think. And you think about this this week and we'll talk about it a little bit more next week. I think what it's going to take is very small privacy fences and very long dining room tables. That's what we need. We need as the people of God so that others can be grafted into this family and find a deep sense of flourishing and home as the family of God Joseph Hellerman he said this the idea of salvation cannot be reduced to a personal relationship with Jesus God's plan is much more encompassing God intends salvation to be a community creating event and next week We're going to end talking a little bit more about what that looks like and what it means. You've been listening to the latest message in our Human Sexuality series, finding biblical answers to questions about sex and marriage, orientation, singleness, and more. You can find more information about this series and our church's ministry at gatewaycrc.org. I'm Jason McNabb. Please join us next time on the weekly sermon at
1: Gateway.